Good morning, and welcome to Crossroads of Rockland History on WRCR.com. I'm Claire Sheridan from the Historical Society of Rockland County, and today we'll be exploring the new novel entitled Demarest Kill, with its author, Frank Eberling. The Historical Society of Rockland County is a nonprofit educational institution and principal repository for documents and artifacts relating to Rockland County. Our headquarters are a four-acre site featuring a history museum and the 1832 Jacob Lavelt House located at 20 Zucker Road in New City. We're listed on the National Register of Historic Places, and we are a newly designated New York State Path Through History site. Part of our broad and challenging mission is to share the history of Rockland County with the public, and we rely on financial support from membership and donations from people just like you. To learn how you can become a member or to volunteer, please visit our website at rocklandhistory.org. And today's broadcast is sponsored by the Town of Ramapo, Supervisor Christopher St. Lawrence and the Ramapo Town Board, and we appreciate their support of our program. Before we begin the program today, I'd just like to remind the listeners that this is a call-in show, and we welcome your phone calls. Our phone lines will be open throughout the broadcast, so please call us if you have a comment or a question. Our number here is 845-362-0013. That's 845-362-0013. So today we're welcoming Frank Eberling to the program. Hello, Frank, and welcome to Crossroads of Rockland History. Good morning, Claire. Thanks for inviting me. Before we begin our discussion about your new book, take a few moments to tell our listeners a little bit about your background. I grew up in New City as a fifth-generation Eberling back in the 40s and 50s and early 60s. And the Eberling family came to New City around 1857. My great-great-grandfather came over and he worked for General Blenker, who was general in the Civil War, and he had a horse farm in the area that's right around New City Park. And so when Blenker went off and fought in the Civil War, my great-great-grandfather, Henry, moved to what became the family homestead up on the top of New Hempstead Hill. It's that on the big S-curve up there that overlooks the present-day highway department. And they would have 11 children. So (laughs) back in the late 1800s and early 1900s, there were a lot of Eberlings running around town. And some of them became farmers, some became shoe manufacturers, merchants, you know, bakers. One even became the county coroner during that infamous Havistra clay slide in the early 1900s. So my brother Ray and my sister Bonnie and I grew up listening to lots and lots of family stories about the, the family history and new city history. And then, you know, one day, I was about 12 years old, about 1958, my father took Ray and me on a walking tour around New City as he was taking photographs for a photo essay for the Historical Society. And that day really became a watershed event in my life because, you know, he he took us, told us so many stories that we had never heard before. He took us all around to all the New City landmarks, like Greenberg's Pond and the Dutch Garden and Demers Kill and Squadron A and the Elms and the original New City Grammar School, which later became Dr. Goebel's office, and then the big schoolhouse on a hill where his father had gone to school, he had gone to school, and my brother and sister and I had all gone to school. And so it was really a wonderful experience for us to learn so much about family history as he took us on this guided tour. We still have all those Kodachrome slides. And it was a remarkable day in my life because it, it changed the course of my life. And I don't know if he ever realized that. I became a professional documentary filmmaker for about 40 years, largely because of that day's walking tour of New City, where he was taking all these wonderful pictures. 
That's amazing. So you haven't always been a writer then? I started out wanting to be a writer when I was seven years old. When, my, when I was about seven years old, my father introduced me to a series of boys' adventure books. They were called the Jerry Todd series. And he had read these books himself as a young boy 30 years earlier. And so these adventure stories take place in a town very similar to New City. And so I grew up reading these stories, and I was experiencing my own adventures in New City at the time. So I decided about the age of seven, you know, I want to be a storyteller just like this guy who authored the young boys' books. And so I decided at a very young age that I wanted to be a writer. I later became a high school teacher, and one of the reasons I wanted to do that is so that I would have my summers off to write my stories. And that didn't work out very well because teachers don't make very much money, as you know, and I always had to work during the summers, but I tried. And then after about five years of doing that, I became a television reporter and a producer in the West Palm Beach area for about 10 years, and that's really where my professional writing career began. If you work in a television newsroom, you have to be both really disciplined and prolific because it's not quality that counts, it's quantity. And so I learned to write very, very fast on deadlines, so it was a great, great boot camp for me. The problem was I was distracted from writing the novels that I wanted to write for about 10 years. And I focused on you know, being a filmmaker, and I produced about, I don't know, 3,000, 3,500 television shows and documentary segments during that time. And I traveled all around the state of Florida, and I learned to love my new adopted home. So my first three novel attempts really take place in Florida. And it wasn't until about 18 years ago that I started writing stories in New City. So your book, which is called Demarest Kill, is a work of fiction, but the settings are real. So tell me about your process of making that decision. Okay, for the listeners who don't know, Demarest Kill is the stream that runs behind the Rockland County Courthouse, and it starts up in the southwest area up by Davies Lake, and it flows all the way through New City, flowing northward through downtown New City, and eventually winds up in Lake DeForest. So I wanted to use that as kind of a metaphor for this story. And if you grew up in New City in the post-World War II years, like my sister Bonnie and my brother Ray and I did, you know what a, a special place it was. I liken it to the Garden of Eden. It was pastoral, it had rolling hills, pastures, it had all these beautiful lakes and streams that we used to go swimming and fishing and ice skating in. So it was really, for me, a perfect place and a perfect time. And, you know, our parents, like a lot of the parents during this era, they grew up in the Depression and World War II. And even though they, they never said it, I have this feeling that our parents wanted to be absolutely certain that we would never have to go through what they had experienced. So they worked very, very hard to create this perfect little world for us. And so we lived in that beautiful setting. And, you know, a town filled with waterfalls and, you know, beautiful settings and, and environment. We had high tour to climb and Hook Mountain. And it was just, you know, for a kid growing up in that, it's almost like growing up in like a giant movie set or a, an amusement park. And the thing about it is during that era, it was very safe. You know, when I was five years old, I walked to kindergarten from home every single morning. And so did, I think, everyone else in the class. And no one thought that that was unusual or in any way unsafe. So it was this perfect little place and time. And as we got older, we really began to appreciate the place where we had grown up. And so my brother Ray and I began writing separately 
essays about our respective New City boyhoods. And I began to wonder, you know, who's going to want to read this stuff? You know, we grew up in New City, so we're going to be interested in it, but who really is going to be interested in growing up in New City? And who cares about that? And then something interesting happened in the late 1990s. I read this novel called A Boy's Life by Robert McGammon. And he told the story of this little town, very similar to New City in some regards. And what he did was he blended this murder mystery into the story. And that's what made it so interesting. You were learning about this town, but you were also following the murder mystery. And that's when I decided to take some of my memories and my stories and write a fictitious account of a murder mystery set against the backdrop of what it was like to grow up in New City in the 50s and 60s. You know, I wanted to tell a more universal story in hopes that it would be of interest to mystery readers. And, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to try to sneak in a lot of other stuff in there about New City and tell people what it was like growing up in this wonderful little town that we grew up in. So you do a fantastic job of capturing the innocence of childhood. So whether you know Rockland County or New City or not, I think readers of a certain age will relate to the freedom of childhood in the mid-20th century. Talk a little bit more about that upbringing that you had. What I've discovered and what I've told people is that the worst part about having a perfect, happy childhood is that everything after that is kind of a letdown. And I say that semi-humorously, but in a lot of respects it's true. With the possible exception of having a child, nothing else measures up to my childhood in New City with my family. And I'm saying that because I didn't lead a boring life after I left New City. I left a very interesting life, an exciting life. I traveled around the world making documentaries. I did about 100 documentaries for the Armed Forces Radio and Television. I've traveled all over the country as a filming as a freelancer. I've traveled all over Florida. I've done over 100 PBS documentaries in Florida. I've interviewed four presidents and movie stars and all that stuff. So I, I haven't lived a boring life. I've lived a very exciting life. But comparatively speaking, nothing beats what... I experienced growing up in New City in the 50s and 60s. There's no comparison, despite the fact that I've had quite an interesting life afterwards. In New City, when we were growing up, we had great schools, we had loving school teachers, we had security, it was a safe place. We had the best playground Mother Nature could provide. And we lived in those woods. At least for my siblings and myself, there was never any stress or strife or anything in the outside world that ever was able to bother us. It was a truly a perfect world. Now, ironically, both from a life standpoint and also from writing fiction standpoint, the irony here is all of that started to change my senior year at Clarkstown High School. My senior year at Clarkstown High School was 63 and 64. You know, JFK was assassinated. November 22nd is the 53rd anniversary of that, and that was a huge thing that interrupted our lives and really disturbed us. And right after that, we began to hear about this faraway jungle in Southeast Asia. And then the Beatles came along, and it was like our lives just changed so suddenly in my senior year. And it happened in real life, and it also works as a plot point for a work of fiction. So my last year of high school and the first few years of college coincided with this massive cultural shift that was going on in our country, and it changed everything. I tell people it was like being hit by a truck. It was just so sudden and so traumatic that you know there was no going back after that. It changed everything. And so I wanted to work that feeling into the story and have that come across. And as I was doing that, I often wondered, does every young person feel that way about 
their own transition years when they leave home for the first time they go away to college is that something that everyone feels and it is is it that dramatic and traumatic for them as it was for me and i don't know the answer to that question i suppose everyone feels that to a certain extent but it it really impacted me and in my life and the the way i perceive the world I think you've done an amazing job of that, and I think that is a universal feeling, certainly from those years. Of course, I don't want to spoil the plot for anyone, because I want everybody to get this book. It's an amazing book. Relationships with our families make up a large part of who we are, and your book definitely explores that. But talk a little bit about the importance of friendships and how those can shape our lives in significant ways. I thought that was a very profound part of your book, how impactful your friendships were. During that period of time, at least for me, my friendships were very important to me. I consider a lot of the people that I grew up with as part of my family. And I just turned 70 years old, and I still have friends from kindergarten. That's 65 years ago. And I still talk to them on a regular basis. And I'm still friends with many of my high school friends from 52 years ago, even though we live thousands of miles apart. So I wanted that feeling of the importance of lifelong friendships to be an undercurrent of this book. And uh, the story is about friendships and what, what happens with friendships over the years. And sometimes they last and sometimes they're destroyed. In this particular case, we have a young man, the protagonist, and then he's got a buddy who they grew up together since fifth grade. And a young woman enters the picture, and the protagonist and this young girl, Beth, but they become high school friends, and then they become lovers, and they go off to college together. And then after being together for 10 years, they, they have a stupid, ridiculous misunderstanding, and they separate. And it essentially destroys all three of their lives. And so I wanted those friendships to be based on my own friendships with people. And it's the friendships that drive the story. And as a matter of fact, Beth winds up dead face down in the Demers kill behind the courthouse as a direct result of the friendship that she has with these two childhood friends and you're being asked the question who murdered Beth Uh, was it her ex-boyfriend or her other friend that did it Uh, in fact her ex-boyfriend who's who has gone on to become an investigator for the DA's office he actually becomes a suspect in the murder because they had lifelong ties and she had gone off and married someone else and he just could never let that go and he could never put it behind him and so he in fact becomes a suspect in the murder that he is investigating my new city friendships are very important to me i mean i could list off a whole name i'm still in touch with my best friends from high school the football team i'm still in touch with girlfriends i had in the fourth grade so it's friendships are very important to me my new city friendships hey, you're listening to wrcr and crossroads of rockland history i'm claire sheridan and i'm speaking with my guest frank everling author of a new novel entitled demarest kill and our phone lines are open so if you have a question or a comment you could call us at 845-362-0013 that number again is 845-362-0013 You and your brother have an interesting story about your family's mail wagon and how that connected to the historical society a little bit. Yeah, my uh, grandfather was uh, a rural mail carrier in New City from about 1904 to about 1934, so a period of about 30 years. The first 15 years of that, he drove a horse and wagon. And we had a barn on our property, which was right across the street from St. Augustine's Church there. And he would take the mail wagon out in the morning and make a a big loop around up by Phillips Hill Road and up 
South Mountain Road area. And then he would come home for lunch, and he would swap out horses. He, the morning horse would take the rest of the day off, and he'd bridle up the afternoon horse, and he would take the mail wagon and go do the south loop of town, down by Brewery Road and Laurel Road, down in that area. And so he had a morning horse and an after horse in this interesting little mail wagon. And then when he changed from a mail wagon to an automobile around 1916 or 17, what he did was he took this mail wagon and he hoisted it up into the second floor of the barn, block and tackle, and and stored it over in the corner. And when we were growing up as kids, you know, my brother and my sister and I and all my cousins, we would play up in the barn in this what we thought was a very mysterious mail wagon. We thought it was like a stagecoach, and we would get in there and we would play for hours and pretend we were riding a, a stagecoach out in the Wild West. Well, when my family sold that property to move to Florida in 1964, the mail wagon stayed upstairs in the barn. And a few years later, the owner tore down the barn, and we never knew what happened to that beloved mail wagon that my grandfather had spent so much time of his life riding around town in and for f about 52 years it was a mystery we didn't know what happened to it so we started asking questions around town and one of our childhood friends a guy by the name of richard person he and ray got into uh, kind of like a de detective mode and they tracked down the mail wagon and what had happened was the owner of the property before they tore the barn down donated the mail wagon to the Rockland County Historical Society, and somehow it was transported up to the Rockland Historical Society barn up on Zucker Road and put in deep storage way in the back of the barn, and it was forgotten for 52 years. Well, we found it this summer thanks to the detective work by Brother Ray and Richard, and we were actually able to go in and look at this mail wagon that had been sitting there for 52 years gathering dust so it was a huge moment for us it was very very exciting it was I, I really don't know how to quite describe it it was so emotional and so what we would like to do is my brother and I would like to start a way of somehow restoring the mail wagon and, and putting it on a display somewhere now in the new city post office up there on North Main Street there used to be a photograph of my grandfather standing next to this mail wagon probably taken in about 1910 I would guess maybe somewhere around 1910. I don't know if the picture is still there, but we have that, that picture. So what we want to do maybe is try to restore it using that photograph as, as a kind of a source for that. And we would love to see that take place. That would be great. The Historical Society would be very willing to work with you on that, I'm sure. You talked a little bit before about sort of the, the loss of innocence, and certainly the beginning of that was the assassination of John F. Kennedy and, and the subsequent losses of Martin Luther King and um, Robert Kennedy. Also, Vietnam plays a significant part in the storyline of your book. Was it a difficult decision to include this? It wasn't a difficult decision at all. It was something I really kind of had to do, I think, because right at the same time that I left New City to go away to University of Florida, all of these things were happening. Our society was going through radical changes. Some even describe it as chaos, but we were, you know, there was a huge shift in our cultural mores and our music and the way we dressed, our attitudes, smoking dope, all of that stuff was going on. And it just so happened at the exact same time that I left town. And it had to be a part of the story. It had to be a part of this loss of innocence story. And at the same time, we started expanding our role in Vietnam. Regardless of what your feelings are about the war, you can't argue that it, it ruined millions of lives. I mean, 58,000 of my classmates, I call them my classmates, 58,000 of them were killed. 
and you know hundreds hundreds of thousands more were injured and damaged and emotionally and some of them have never gotten over it and so what we have in the story is tom who's the protagonist's best friend and he's he's a brilliant child piano prodigy living in the big mansion on the hill which is on the front cover of the book which is the old Eriana estate he was a very peaceful soul and very you know very loving guy and he is drafted and sent to vietnam and he essentially becomes involved in an atrocity similar to the my Lai massacre and 30 years later he's still paying the price emotionally and he's kind of a member of the, you know the walking dead he's just living one day at a time because for him like so many others you know there's really no farewell to arms here it's it's just something that they could never get over so after living this perfect idyllic childhood something really really terrible happens and they're still paying the price 30 years later so vietnam was the really kind of the great moral dilemma of my generation what do you do about it and the answer is i don't know but some of the things about what it did to not only their friendships but to them personally is all part of the story it's all part of this loss of innocence theme that i tried to keep running throughout the story we have a caller so we're going to say good morning uh, you're on the air you're kidding i'm actually calling from massachusetts i was a classmate of frank and i went to kindergarten with him and i actually mentioned um in his book one of the characters i was a friend of the young woman who was murdered well thank you for so much for calling have you read the book yes i have is this barbara it is. Hi, hey, Barbara. Frank. How are you? I'm good. I thought that you were going to be on the radio, and I just felt I had to call. I loved your book. I've seen Angela Sigalito, and she and I have compared notes about the book. And if you remember, Angela, I think, posted a map that I made for her from my memory of where things were because she didn't come in until junior high. And I remember all the wonderful things you were talking about. When we went to kindergarten and elementary school in that old building, I remember walking home during the lunch when I was in first grade. You know, I lived right near the school. And, and, and Laura and I, my twin, we used to walk home for lunch and then walk back. You talk about being safe. I don't think we could ever have done that now. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different world, you know, that's for sure. We really want to thank you for calling in. We have some other calls to take, so I want to thank you for calling and reading the book and giving it such a glowing recommendation. So thank you, Barbara. We're, thanks, Barbara. G- good morning. You're on the air. Hello. Yes, um, Claire, this is Milton calling. I was wondering if they have the book in audio we plan to do is we're going to make a few revisions in the uh, in the paperback book and then we're going to make it available on kindle and then also we are going to try to do a, an audio version sometime in the near future okay and we have another caller good morning you're on the air hello frank Hi, beth. my name is beth my maiden name was beth becker and i grew up on evergreen road west which ended up being behind the first strip mall in New City. I remember it very well. You were right next to the old cemetery. Yeah, and when reading your book, 
I didn't realize it was Revolutionary War. My friend Maura Mushlin and I found what turned out to be a deer femur there, and we took our bikes and rode it up to Miss Fitch's house and, uh-huh. and showed her to, you know, find out that it was an animal, not a, not a human. But one thing I wanted to ask you, you never mentioned, my parents, I think, moved there in 1947, and we lived behind the evergreens, and... I was surprised that, do you remember that? It was like this hundred, the way it was described to me was a 150-year-old farmhouse with with huge, you know, probably yes, no... Yes, it was right on the corner of Congress Road there where the first yes. strip mall was, next to and, the Elms. And, and I, think beha- it was a, I, I think it was an old folks' home and then maybe a nursery school for a while before they tore it down. Yeah, and there was a one, and there was a, like a meadow there. I mean, you talk yes. about idyllic. You, you you really nailed the the idyllic. But so you remember the evergreens? Yes, the I'm, front porch and had a lot of playgrounds and swings for the kids in the front yard. Oh, see, I don't remember any of that. I was really young. Great read. Thank so, you so much. Thank you. Well, that's all the time we have for today on Crossroads of Rockland History. I'd like to thank my guest, Frank Eberling, author of the new novel, Demarest Kill. It's a wonderful book, a page-turner, and if you're from Rockland, you'll really enjoy the nods to local places. If you're not from Rockland, you'll still love it because it's a compelling story done in a beautifully descriptive style. On behalf of everyone at the Historical Society of Rockland County, thank you so much for being a part of Crossroads of Rockland History today. Please remember that everything we talked about, as well as a recording of this broadcast, will be available on our website, rocklandhistory.org. The book, Demarest Kill, is available at Amazon.com or wherever fine books are sold. You can reach Frank Eberling at his website, frankeberling.com. We hope you'll tune in to the next episode of Crossroads of Rockland History on December 19th. We'll speak to New City resident Terry Thal, who worked as the manager for many folk singers in the 1960s, including Bob Dylan. We'll explore all of that, plus we'll learn all about the Lake Lucille community in New City. There are many upcoming events and programs on tap at the Historical Society of Rockland County, including our holiday programs, St. Nicholas Day, candlelight tours of the Jacob Lavelt House, and our 41st annual holiday exhibition. If you're interested in learning more about any of our events and programs, visit our website at rocklandhistory.org. The telephone number is 845-634-9629. That's rocklandhistory.org, 845-634-9629. And, of course, another great way to find out about what's happening at the Historical Society is to follow us on Facebook or Twitter. We also have a blog at Tumblr, which we welcome you to follow. I'm Claire Sheridan. We hope you have a very happy Thanksgiving, and thank you for listening to Crossroads of Rockland History on WRCR.com.